Hi, I'm Lydia with Revelation Real Estate, and today in Solving Life's Next Chapter, we are talking technology to keep you healthy and safe at home, and we have two guests with us today, and I'm super excited. We have Jamie Flesher, and we have Dr. David Keeley, and they are with Electronic Caregiver. So tell us, Jamie, what specifically is Electronic Caregiver? So Electronic Caregiver is a technology company that specializes in help keeping people safe at home. And they also have uh, technology that will help people who have chronic conditions uh, to help them improve outcomes uh, through telehealth and telemonitoring. So for those guests that don't know what telehealth and telemonitoring is, kind of give us a little scoop on what that is. So one of the products we have is Pocket MD, which okay. is telehealth, and that enables someone to have access to a doctor 24-7. Okay, and it's electronically, so they talk to them on the phone, that kind of thing to get information? Yes, okay. yes. They they can press a button and say, I'd like to talk to a doctor, Okay. and a doctor will call them back, and they can have a consultation with the doctor over the phone. And if it's a common illness that can be diagnosed over the phone, the doctor can diagnose the illness, call in a prescription oh, okay. uh, to the, the pharmacy that they use, and they can be treated right away without leaving their home. Right, right. And I think, too, this is really good. Um, this is a good product for folks that want to stay at home longer Mm -hmm. and I think people don't realize that especially here in Arizona I'm sure it happens everywhere else in the in the country but we are overworked and and there's too many patients in a hospital and not enough staff basically and same with home home caregivers as well Mm -hmm. we're just under understaffed and so Mm -hmm. companies like this are starting to become very popular and I think too that people don't understand that um, companies like electronic caregiver are buttons or they can be like a a, look like a a watch and they can talk to them over that so it's not just a help I've fallen and I can't get up kind of a button it's a they're monitoring blood pressure and all these other um, other types of medical issues as, as well. Is that my understanding? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really how I found electronic caregiver when I was looking for a medical alert system for my mom. She okay. had fallen a couple yep. times at home and I was looking for the best product on the market. And right. that was when I found the electronic caregiver because it's it has so much more than just a emergency button. Right. It has medication reminder. It has Pocket MD. It has a family caregiver app that a family caregiver can download on their phone and really be involved in the care of mom or dad. Right. They can send them a message, and that could be a medication reminder or a remind that a reminder that they have a doctor's appointment okay. or just or a just message. Have I you love you today. Or yeah. <laughs> Reminding them to drink water. That's oh, yeah, so that's important here yep. in Arizona. Yes, exactly. So, Dr. Keeley, tell us um, tell us about the technology itself and, and give us some of the information that you have. Okay, I would be happy to, and I would like to say thank you very much for having us well, today. Thanks we for, really for appreciate coming. it. 
so the technology in of its in and of itself is is really very interesting. Uh, our company began in the security monitoring industry okay. in a situation where most of the people who needed coverage and help for home security mm-hmm. weren't able to to get it because apartments and rental houses and things like that oh. would not allow them to install and mount things on the wall. Gotcha. So we began as a security monitoring company that really had a plug and play solution for individuals in more of a rental dwelling type setting. Okay. That led to the development as we began to to look at market demographics and, right. and what was going on in America. That led us to really begin to understand that we're facing a huge problem with individuals having the support they need yeah. to age in their home. Absolutely. And so as an innovative company that, that worked through that it, that type of issue in the security monitoring industry, uh, it was just a natural pivot to trying to provide a technological solution along similar lines to individuals that want to age in their home. Right. And really, it's as simple as the, this type of example. So we all know my mom may have a cardiologist who she goes and sees, and her cardiologist requires her to take daily blood pressure readings. Okay. I know my mom. I love my mom. <laughs> I know that my mom is sitting in her cardiologist's parking lot filling out her little notebook of readings that she was supposed to have before <laughs> she goes in and visits her cardiologist. I think you're describing <laughs> my own mother. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what this technology really really is designed to do in those situations is, as Jamie mentioned, we can push a reminder to the individual to actually take their blood pressure or their physiological measure. Mm -hmm. They have to acknowledge that reminder. And here's the great thing about the redundancy that's built into the technology is they may push the button to indicate that they acknowledge the reminder and have taken their blood pressure, but we get no blood pressure data ingested into the system. See, they figure out how to be tricky is what they do. (laughs) Um, And I I guess that's just human nature. Yes. Uh, But when we don't get that uh, data point ingested of their blood pressure, we can immediately go down a call tree and notify the patient first. Come on, mom, you didn't take your blood pressure or you didn't take your blood pressure reading. We know on to familial caregivers, like again, myself, I'm using my mom as an example, on to emergency services or physician services through Pocket MD. So really what the technology is, it's technology that, that serves to hide the technology that we're incorporating into remote patient monitoring and in-home support. So the patient doesn't do anything but see a reminder and acknowledge the reminder and go through their plan of care. Whereas we're constantly able to ingest data. We know whether they're adhering to their care plan in a passive way. We can then present those those data that are ingested back to the doctor through a HIPAA compliant dashboard. Doctors can log on and see their patient data before they come into their office. We also have the ability to wrap anomaly detection algorithms around the, the data that's being ingested. So if my mom's cardiologist wants a notification anytime her blood pressure exceeds 140 right reading comes in that's 142 not only do we get that reading we also turn around and kick a notification oh, immediately to the physician very and cool. third parties but another person may want to have a cutoff set at 144 okay well we can do that for each individual patient and why they would want to go to 200 i don't know but if they <laughs> wanted to go to 200 we could go all the way to 200 right and now so, is that a decision that the doctor makes and the patient or is it a combined the doctor just wants to like they're concerned for that patient for whatever reason in most instances it's the doctor that is going to be setting things but if 
say a doctor's not involved and a son wants to uh, utilize this technology for his for his mom or his dad who may be uh, living two or three states away right that the same concept and scheme can be applied in in that situation more on the private side right. where the son or the daughter or whoever it is wants a notification if blood pressure exceeds 130 right and that notification will go out at that point in time as well right. so it works on either side either the the, the, the actual physician side right. or the the private side right. in the same fashion and is really we, we don't have to discriminate other than where the data go right to you know who has right. access what's nice about that is if it is a, a for instance a family member that's out of state you could give mm -hmm. them that information and then in a couple hours they can call mom or dad and say how you feeling did you get this taken care of did the doctor call you do you are, did they change medications did you go in what mm -hmm. what's you know give me the story on it so yes, kind of exactly. like a second reminder of mm -hmm. you know checking up on their family right. yes exactly and it's not just blood pressure. We have the ability to do it with a number of physiological variables, heart rate, uh, pulse oximetry or O2 saturation. We have peak flow spirometers that we can incorporate, all FDA approved, all Bluetooth equipped so they transmit data wirelessly, no issue. We go to our cellular-based uh, 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 HIPAA-compliant data hub right. that messages are delivered through data ingested into and then uploaded via cellular signal. Okay. One, of the, one of the interesting things about the technology is Wi-Fi is great and right. a lot of the new remote patient monitoring devices connect to Wi-Fi. Okay. The issue is we're a little biased towards our Wi-Fi system here in the United <laughs> States. Um, we like to say it works everywhere right. all the time, but right. that is not the case. Yeah. Uh, so being able to incorporate, you know, both on the Wi-Fi side and the cellular side gives us a very consistent data transmission oh. so that we know that we're not, you know, uh, dealing with uh, uh, lapses in data transmission right. or missing data points, those types of things. Okay, as well. gotcha, so, yeah. gotcha. So for those of us that aren't doctors, some of the things I want to go back to what you were saying. Mm -hmm. Some of the things you can monitor are heart, blood pressure, blood sugar, um, things like that, basically. Yes, ma'am. Your yeah. standard Fine physiological okay. variables that are associated with chronic conditions. Okay. We look at we look at heart disease. Well, it's suggested on the Medicare side that over 50 for 50 percent of beneficiaries on the Medicare side have heart disease, some form, whatever right. that is. Right. Um, but simultaneously, they may also be suffering from COPD, or they may be one of the few instances that have C have diagnosed COPD, but not some form of cardiovascular disease. Gotcha. So we have a wide suite of peripheral devices that are able to collect data for a variety of physiological right. variables. Right. Um, and we, we tailor that in collaboration with the physician okay. to provide the patient the right set of peripheral devices and data collection devices that they need in their home right. to best support their plan of care. Right. Okay. And all these tools work together um, with the button and the pendant and whatever the machine that you stick your finger in and all the other machinery that you have for that patient, correct? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because even though we're collecting data on a daily or multi multiple times a day, even though we're collecting data on that frequency, right. The, the data are not always indicative of some type of adverse event. And okay. so with that, we've built the system such that the pendant is always available, you know, wrist-worn pendant, they can push it, they right. can get access to uh, their call tree, they can get access to remote monitoring, they can get access to emergency services when they need it, they can get access to telemedicine. Right. All of that works seamlessly with the remote patient monitoring side and chronic care management side. Okay. Very cool. And Lydia, I just want to add to that, um, you know, Medicare recognized 
the need for telemonitoring okay. for better outcomes of okay. chronic diseases. So okay. as of January of this year, they have come out with reimbursable codes that oh. uh, that a primary care practice provider as well as you know specialists like cardiologists mm-hmm. and pulmonologists, endocrinologists that take care of patients with heart, lung, okay. diabetes can uh, can prescribe the, um, these monitoring services okay. and along with the devices. So they reimburse both for the uh, equipment okay. as well as the monitoring. Oh, that's very good. Okay. Yeah, and that's uh, oh, go ahead. That's this year, 2019. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and there's a third reimbursement code for physicians that they, they actually have to go in and monitor the data. Okay. So if a patient has a physician who has ordered this a type of system of remote patient monitoring system right. for them. The patient also knows that as part of that, the physician is going to spend a minimum of 15 minutes a, a month mm-hmm. specific to that patient evaluating the, the patient data. Mm-hmm. And so really what it leads to is instead of my mom going to the physician, her primary care office right. January 1st of 2020, right, and then unless something happens, not going to her primary care provider j- until January 1st of 2020, 2021, right. instead of one visit per year, right. we're actually getting 12 mini visits and evaluations by the physician over time, yeah. where if there's something that needs to be interjected, intervened, or altered in the care plan, right. the physician can then say, okay, we want to modify the care plan at month four right. instead of getting to month 12 and there being such a decline that all of a sudden my mom goes from functionally independent to functionally dependent, which yep. is what we're trying to avoid. Right, absolutely. What I like about that too is basically when when someone goes in to see their physician, we'll just face it. The the way the care, the way m- medical is going these days, you, you are lucky if you get even 15 minutes with your doctor. Mm-hmm. You're, mm-hmm. Normally it's like five to 10 minutes and they're in and out and you've got a staff member doing all the pre stuff and a staff member doing all the end stuff. But to actually sit and be with your doctor is really, you don't get that 30 minutes or hour or 45 minutes that you used to 20, 30, 40 years ago. So this kind of helps them maybe pinpoint what they need to look at in that shorter amount of time as well, it sounds like. And in between visits, they can get phone calls from either a nurse or a medical assistant who's working with a doctor oh, on that okay. chronic care management. So okay. you, it's like having a nurse in the family. 24 hours a day if you need it. Absolutely. And that's one yes. of the ways that the system has functioned to reduce hospital readmissions, which we're all right. we're all worried about hospital readmissions yes. and hospital admissions, yep. but we're all worried about it for different reasons. Right. Healthcare is worried about it because of the expense. Right. Providers are worried about it because of reduction in reimbursements right. if they have a high uh, readmission rate. And patients are worried about it because, frankly, most of them don't want to go back to the hospital. Nope. Exactly. Right. Yes. And exactly. so by, by being able to do that and incorporating that chronic care management, a lot mm-hmm. of times a phone call goes to the nurse's triage desk okay. for the chronic care management company. Mm-hmm. And usually when that goes to 911 or it goes to a physician's answering service, the mm-hmm. response is, okay, this is the issue. You need to go to urgent care or you need to go to emergency room. Okay. With the nurse triage station that they have access to via telemedicine, they can then go and the nurse may have a better understanding. They can log on, look at the data, see it's just a, a 
single data point that's out of whack mm-hmm. or understand why it's beginning to escalate and say, you don't need to go to an ED. Right. You don't need to go to an urgent care. Right. We need to call and make an appointment for you at your primary tomorrow. Right. So relax, go back to bed. I'm going to handle the appointment. We're going to get you an appointment yep. with your primary. And so that in turn routes them to the more appropriate place as opposed to just overloading uh, your local urgent care or your local emergency department. Which ours are always overloaded Mm -hmm. anyway because of our population out here. So it's always good to have a backup plan. And I think this is this is the way of the future. And I think people don't, would rather talk to a nurse or a doctor versus having to go sit in the emergency department for hours and then find out they really only had heartburn instead of a heart attack. So <laughs> I know a lot of a lot of my clients have had that right. situation. Yeah. So doctor, tell us about the, um, the G60 trauma program. You guys have a G60 t- trauma program. Okay. Yes. Um, so, so I want to be clear. It's not our program. Oh, okay. Um, it is, so one of the things that we pride ourselves on is being an evidence-based company. Okay. We have a full clinical research division. We, we carry out a lot of research projects because okay. unfortunately in today's world, a lot of people Come make, cl- a way. lot of people make <laughs> claims that are not backed by evidence. Right. This system is amazing. This system does this, this does that. Okay. And there's no evidence behind it. And right. we choose purposefully choose to be an evidence-based company. Okay. So that being said, we actively pursue research partnerships with organizations that are, that have relevant interests to ours and we can, we can hopefully develop a mutually beneficial relationship. Right. One of those organizations is the G60 Trauma organization that is uh, led by Dr. Alicia Mangrum. Okay. So Dr. Alicia Mangrum is probably the premier geriatric trauma surgeon in the United States, in my opinion, uh, if not the world. And so what she learned 20 years ago was that somebody who was 65 would come into the hospital, they would have trauma associated with ground level falls because we know falls are a problem in older individuals. Right. And so they would be admitted to the hospital, admitted to the the trauma department, Mm -hmm. and the trauma surgeon would sit there and say, okay, I need test A, test B, test C to be ran, and then I need to consult with the orthopedist. Okay. So they'd call in the orthopod. The orthopod would look at the patient, see their 65 years of age, and say, I'm not doing anything until we've talked to their cardiologist. Mm. Cardiologist would say, I'm not doing anything until we've talked to a neurologist. Right. So what would happen was over time, a patient would spend four or five unnecessary days in the hospital because every doctor wanted to wait until... the. Whatever doctor was had said, okay, right, Um, which makes sense. And so people were suffering. Right. And so what Dr. Mangrum developed was a trauma program aimed at people 60 years and older. Okay. Where they're treated just like a 25 year old that comes in. Okay. They come in. They're they're diagnosed. They're triaged. They get the the care that they need at a fast, uh, a high velocity or a quick rate. Um, And they're no longer sitting in the hospital for four or five days with a broken hip before the first thing happens. They even get surgery. Yeah. Yes. And so, and we believe the same thing. It's, it's kind of the belief that regardless of their age, a person is a person. They need what they need to be able to live their life. Right. And because of that overlap in Dr. Mangrum's beliefs with G60 trauma and our beliefs as electronic caregiver, we felt it a very, very good, good relationship. Mm -hmm. And so we are entering into a a research relationship where we are looking at the influence of remote patient monitoring and uh, 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 
specific trauma program designed for older individuals to see how that combination of care can function to one, provide better care, but two, reduce hospital readmissions in Mm. uh, post-discharge patients suffering trauma from ground level falls. Okay. So uh, with that, they are also developing a transitional care program that is going to be implemented starting November 15th. Okay. Or excuse me, November 18th. 18th. And And that's this month. Yes, ma'am. Next week. Okay. Yes, ma'am. That is in five whole days or whatever it is. Uh, (laughs) It's exciting times. But what that program is designed to do is we know there's a gap in care. So the trauma program takes care of the patient in the hospital. Right. The patient then goes to either a step down facility like a skilled nursing facility or long-term Rehab, care facility, something like, something that. like okay. that, where they're still receiving care, right. but then they're discharged home eventually, and we all know what happens when people get discharged yes. home. Yep. Well, this transitional care program is designed specifically to address the issues in post-discharged home setting okay. by incorporating a transitional care program that is inclusive of a nurse practitioner, yep. that is inclusive of chronic care management, yep. remote patient monitoring, the trauma doctors associated with it stay coupled with the patients for a longer period of time to make sure that they're advancing the way they want to. It incorporates uh, uh, step-down facilities in collaboration with various step-down facilities like a skilled nursing facility. Or the physical therapist if they're involved. Okay. So that we can coordinate care all the way from admission Mm -hmm. through full recovery in the home. And Mm -hmm. that ultimately is the goal of the transitional care program. And that's what we're looking to. There's a lot of research on G60 trauma. Okay. Now we're looking to expand the research into the transitional program and implement that care program where we can, we can spread out Mm -hmm. the, the burden of care across a wide group of individuals. We can provide better, more consistent care. And ultimately, if we do all that up front, the long-term gain is that they stay out of the hospital, mm-hmm. which is what we all want. And they stay healthier longer, basically, because exactly. falls are probably the biggest one. Is that the biggest issue that you guys find with your um, patients is falls are probably one of the bigger um, calls that you get? Um, or is it more cardio that you guys get more? No, well, definitely okay. falls. Falls, yeah. Yes. Yeah, because we were, um, so we had the City of Surprise battalion chief here a couple of months ago and he said 65 percent of his calls are fall related calls Mm -hmm. so or lift assists from people who have fallen at home Mm -hmm. so to eliminate some of the um sending them to just straight to the emergency department this would be a great resource for someone who maybe has a senior that is living alone or maybe they have a spouse that is their caregiver but the caregiver spouse is just the same age and if they fall they can't really help them get up or or you know or maybe they just need a little bit of help reminding them for medications because it's hard enough to take care of yourself and when people have to take care of somebody else that's a whole nother Mm -hmm. level of care that people don't realize until they're in it yeah well it's interesting that you should bring that up i'm assuming you're talking about uh either the fire chief or the police chief or or something like that um you know it's 
911 is becoming the standard for at-risk populations to Absolutely, access healthcare. Yes, without a doubt. When you call 911, you get uh, four highly trained individuals within four minutes, probably across the country. You get an ambulance that you don't have to pay for up front. Yeah. You see a physician within a few hours that either writes a prescription for you or gives you, you know, a care plan that you need. And then you typically, in most cases, you get a taxi voucher home. So basically, you're getting concierge service from the event all the way through the return back home and it is placing an unbelievable strain on emergency services. In fact, if you look at some of the data associated with emergency services, in 1985 uh, to now, the number of fire calls has actually decreased across the United States. Yes. If you look at the number of false alarms associated with fires, that has remained consistent since about 1985 to present day. But if you look at the number of medical calls that fire departments across the country are receiving, in 1985, it was suggested that they received about seven and a half million calls across the country annually for medical conditions alone. Fast forward to 2010, which is the latest time frame I have number for or right. data for, yeah. almost 20 million calls to fire departments across the United States alone yeah. were for medical medical calls. Yeah. That, yeah. that that has become the access point for healthcare services. So yeah. I understand yeah. uh, the pain. And that's one of the reasons that we're looking to partner with institutions like that right. so that we can try to address some of the alarm fatigue and some of the false alarms and some of the, yeah. the stress placed on that system. Right that wasn't necessarily designed to function as healthcare. Right, exactly, exactly. So, yes. And I think that's even, um, I have a daughter that's going into fire paramedic as well, and, and that's probably the biggest, they, even the fire department has changed the way they are now having an EMT and a paramedic on every single fire truck probably because of those numbers that you mm-hmm. threw out at us because it's it is a need and there is a obviously um, resources are being stretched in many different ways yes. from hospitals caregivers um, skilled nursing all the way down to even family caregivers in the home so oh yes and I heard I heard a fire chief uh, in a southwest community mm-hmm. uh, give an example of a a woman who called their department 42 times over the course of 11 months of those 42 times they responded to 31 of them that was the level so so you figure basically two and a half times a month well this technology that we're talking about we can partner with those those local emergency services and in situations like that because unfortunately the fire department and the police department and everybody knows who they're going to get calls from right we can, we can provide systems in a way through partnerships that we are now providing an additional access point with a nurse contact or telemedicine right. or uh, rapid response monitoring that can alleviate some of that stress off the emergency services while not completely decoupling that individual from those emergency right. services. We just have point one, point two, point three that they have to go to, and then they go to those services if those services are warranted. Right, so. right, exactly. Well, I I appreciate all this information. It's such a wealth of information. We're gonna put links on, our, on the podcast and on the um, Facebook page so that people can actually get a hold of, Jamie's our local um, gal here, but, they've got access to all of your information and we'll have you come back again because I know you've got obviously your technology has changed even in the last year and you've gotten 
better at responding and you've gotten more equipment that you've added and, and more services that are just going to keep coming. I, I can just tell already from, from all the things that you've uh, said off camera. So so I'm super excited and, and this is definitely going to help those our aging populations, um, baby boomers, are are a huge part of probably why this is becoming so popular. Is the baby boomers tend to change a lot of things, and medical, <coughs> you know, is one of them. So mm -hmm. that's definitely a good thing. So and and the way that you guys have work your um, program, it makes sense to be able to keep someone at home longer and not have to um, strain the emergency or the hospitals or whoever is having to to even family caregivers family yes. caregivers suffer rates of depression and, yep. and other things that are you know significantly higher than the person they're providing care for themselves right so yeah i was told i don't know if this is an accurate number but i was told 65 percent of the caregivers pass away before the patient mm -hmm. pass away so it's a high percentage of people that you know because they don't take care of themselves and they're taking care of somebody else so it's it's and it's a big responsibility and when you think of it you think oh i can take care of mom or i can take care of dad but you don't realize that the more they the more that they fail the harder it is on you because now you're taking more of that burden on to make sure that they're having good quality of life with whatever that is. Yes, and so. in today's world, it's not just about them taking care of mom or dad. Those individuals that are taking care of mom or dad or mom and dad are also taking care of sister, yep. aunt, uncle, yep. son, daughter, yep. grandma, grandpa. It is a huge burden. Yes. on individuals that are providing care. Absolutely. And we feel that we have developed a solution that can alleviate a large portion of that stress on those individuals. Right, right. Well, I appreciate you both coming and we'll have you both come back for sure because I know, I know you've got a lot. You'll have more information for us probably even after the first of the year. So thank you for coming. Thanks for having us. And we will see you next week on Solving Life's Next Chapter.